0: Friends, would you please stand with me as we read the Lord's word, reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, as we continue to look at our spiritual warfare. Again, this is the Lord's word. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Amen. Would you please be seated? Again, our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and pray now that your blessing will be upon it, upon this servant and upon these, your people, that your grace be upon them and that you would enable uh, old and young alike to be able to focus. And I pray that, um, that the word, your word, would have its desired effect upon uh, the hearts of your people and upon me, I pray as well and ask, Lord, that you would make me plain and clear as I ought to be. We pray that the kingdom of Satan would suffer injury We pray that we would not be deceived, duped by his schemes. We pray that we would be wise, but innocent. And we pray, O Lord, that we would be bold and that we would be simple like children who can take your word and believe it and stand upon it and not be shaken. Again, we give you thanks for this and for this time and we pray for your blessing now and for your spirit's presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Our nation is a mess. I say this just about weekly. Probably one of the easiest things for me to say because you already know it's true. We are spiraling out of control financially, socially, morally. I don't think I need to convince you of these very things. It has long been my belief that the church is at least in part, perhaps large part, to blame for the current condition of our nation. You're supposed to be a Christian nation, that's what we're told, right? Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 13, you are, speaking again to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt is a preservative, It hinders, it slows down the corruption of the world. And when the church behaves like the world, when Christians are seen as self-serving, self-promoting, worldly, the me-first attitude, being comfort-driven, entertainment-oriented, when personal ease becomes our God, we embrace sin. We pursue the flesh, and we walk in sensuality. The world sees this kind of thing, and they say, well, you're no different than I am. Why should I go to church? What's different about you than me? Sadly, I remember going to um, a general assembly where I saw a minister get drunk, and he was trying to evangelize to a WWF, World Wrestling Federation um, man, big man, and this minister who was starting to get tipsy. Because, you know, we're saved by grace. So it doesn't matter what I do with my personal license, right? Unbelievable. I'm not making this up. And the man tries to evangelize this hulk of a man and, uh, about the need for Jesus Christ. He goes, well, isn't this interesting? I'm not a Christian and I'm not drunk. And here's the man who says he's a Christian who's drunk. Very shameful thing. A very shameful thing why would the world look at the church and say there's nothing different about you what kind of salt what kind of witness is a church that looks like the world around us peter would say this keep your behavior excellent among the gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers they may because of your good deeds as they observe them Glorify God in the day of visitation. Paul would write in Titus, In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. As it is, and I read read this this, um, actually yesterday, a Gallup poll says that 20% of churchgoers go weekly. That's just 20%, and I believe they've broken this down into Protestant, Catholic, Jewish synagogues, right? The whole religious spectrum. Of all the religious people here in the United States, 20%, that's just 20%, go to church on a weekly basis, 10% of those who profess to have some form of belief, um, 10% of those almost every week, 26% of those who profess to believe something 26% seldom go and 31% say they never go to church or to synagogue. 20% of those who say they believe, Catholic, Protestant, Jewish, 20% go to church on a weekly basis. And a more staggering statistic, in 1948, 69% of the population said that they were Protestants. That's 1948. In the year 2022, 34% say they, they are now Protestants. And the numbers are pretty staggering. As we watch our nation, we are in a, a serious decline. Now, there's reasons for this. It might be that we're not, we have lower birth rates, right? Because in the Lord's Church, we've decided we want stuff rather than children. I don't know what it is, but we, have, we are hurting the witness of the gospel. And, and you look at this, the nonsense we see on television of, of charismatic congregations. We see the nonsense that goes on, and people say, I want nothing to do with that because they're only interested in money, and they're weird. They jump around with their heads bobbing. There's no sense of order or dignity or beauty. Get me away from that stuff. And you've heard it too, people say things like this, that religion is the foundation of all the problems in this world right now. We're a mess. And the world is playing into the schemes of Satan and the church is playing into the schemes of Satan. And what are these schemes? What are his strategy? Remember, friends, he is a destroyer, he's a deceiver, and he's a murderer. This is Satan. Everything he is about is destruction. Everything he's about is about destruction. There is no good thing that Satan brings to this world. And yet we're being played. His scheme is to keep people from the Lord. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.4, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It is to keep people from the Lord or it is to keep the Lord's people from being faithful witnesses of the Lord. And this is where you come into play. You are called to be a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in Lander, in Riverton, in Washakie. You are called to be the Lord's faithful witnesses. Our goal as a church and as the church of the Lord is to advance the Lord's kingdom in this world. His reign in every human heart Um, That every lost individual may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory, that they might come to glorify and enjoy the Lord. That's our mission in this world. We have not only the truth, the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, the gospel, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, said Paul, but we have also his Holy Spirit. We are empowered From on high. Let me uh, read to you from Ephesians 5, verses 11 through 16, and listen to what Paul would say here. He says, Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed. By the light for everything that becomes visible is light for this reason it says awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you therefore he says to the saints be careful how you walk that is how you live not as unwise men but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil our job is to expose evil in the world and it's not just to feather our nests and live peacefully and comfortably We are the Lord's army, and the gates of hell, said Jesus, would not prevail against the gospel going forward. Remember Peter's confession, Matthew 16. We are the ones who are in enemy territory. And the gates of hell are are, are such a way that they are striving to hold fast and prevent people from coming to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. We go through life, everyone goes through life, and we listen to Oprah and we listen to the latest uh, television fads and we read the latest magazines and pick up the New York Times bestseller books and we read these things and we say, oh look, I'm really in good position here. I'm just like everyone else around me in the nation. Not the Christian. That's not the Christian's job. The Christian's job is to expose these things. You hear of this climate nonsense. It's nonsense. Nonsense. N-O-N-E-S-E-N-S-E. Nonsense. I think I spelled that right. And yet, people in churches, I read an article. Do you realize that the, the latest global meeting that was over in Switzerland, what they were about? They had a large group of pastors and rabbis and imams and why they're getting faith involved in the green movement now. Just wait till it comes to us. Pastor, we'd like you to join the organization here in Lander for for a greener earth, a climate-safe earth. Friends, this is nonsense. The earth isn't going to end until the Lord says, I'm done. Then it's going to end. And, and, and I'm sorry, but the policy. So all of these sorts of things. They're creeping in on the church, and the church wants to find favor with the world. Friends, you will never find favor with the world. And the day you do find favor with the world and the church finds favor with the world is the day that the church has left behind the light and salt of the gospel and of the truth of scripture. We must get used to this idea that we are not going to be finding favor with the world. And if you're looking for favor with the world, then you cannot be finding favor with God. Because you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God's. You will love one or you will love the other, but you can't have both. That's the call of a Christian. Follow me. Take up your cross daily, says Jesus, and follow me and, I will, and you will find life in me, but you will lose your life in this world. Our goal is to advance God's kingdom. The church in our country has lost ground. We have not stood firm. I think the statistics bear this out. We have not put on the full armor. We have not been on guard. We have been sleepy. We have been apathetic. We have been deceived, and we have been distracted by all of our affluence, our hobbies, our toys, our sports, our money. And it's hurt the church. It's hurt our witness. We are engaged in a battle, said Paul, against the devil and his schemes, against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Satan and his demons have influenced hearts and minds and spur on action that oppose the Lord and his people. And I want you to recall, friends, because I don't doubt for a second that every single one of you people in here is quite sincere and well-meaning. Do you recall Peter himself was quite a sincere and well-meaning man? And yet Jesus would say to him, get behind me, Satan, because he was playing into the hands of Satan. Jesus Christ came into this world in order to die And it would have been awfully nice if this cup could pass from me, says Jesus, but not my will but yours be done. And here's Peter saying, you're not gonna have to die. That's a lie from Satan. And Jesus calls Peter out, get behind me, Satan. Peter and Judas, Ananias, people being thrown in prison. My friends, if the church isn't quick to respond, And if the Lord's people fail to heed this command that we are given, we will limp along, also merely playing games like children who do play house. If we care about advancing the kingdom of Christ, of standing firm when trial and sifting occurs, we must suit up. We must suit up. We must be prepared for battle. The answer, the question that we are answering is this How shall we as Christians effectively battle our spiritual enemy? How? Do we leave this place today and effectively engage the the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the Lord, the enemy of the church? How do we do it? How do we do it? We effectively battle our spiritual enemy when we take up the full armor of God. Again, the imagery used here is that of the Roman foot soldier to whom Paul was no stranger. More than the individual parts of the armor, we want to first see, friends, this main point that this armor is God's armor. It is the armor of God. John Stott said this The point is that this equipment is forged and furnished by God. In the Old Testament it is God Himself, the Lord of hosts, who is depicted as a warrior fighting to vindicate his people. Again, quoting Isaiah fifty nine, seventeen, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. He continues, still today the armor and weapons are his, but now he shares them with us. We have to put on the armor, take up the weapons, and go to war with the powers of evil. Truth, my friends, is under attack. We are made fit for this battle by taking up the full armor of God, but neglect or lay aside, forego any part of this armor, and you will not be able to withstand the attacks of the evil one. So now we begin to look at each of the individual, individual pieces of armor as part of the whole. The defense of armor, again, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation. We look today at truth. He says, having girded your loins with truth. The idea of having girded your loins means that you have prepared for action. Before going into battle, men used to tie up long, loose clothing so that they would not be tripped up, so that they might be effective and not be hindered. Here, then, truth for the Christian is like a belt uh, being used by a soldier. Truth is meant to bring freedom, it is meant to bring ease, it is meant to bring clarity, it is meant to bring confidence, to remove uncertainty and doubts, so that you may fight. I want to read that again, because I think this is important to understand why truth is so important. And why it's significant, and why it's interesting, too, that everything that is true is being called into question, even in the church. Has God really said that that little baby boy that the Kolibans just had, this, this grandchild, is it really a boy? Are you sure about that? He hasn't had a chance to weigh in on the decision yet. Hopefully they filled in the birth certificate. Right? I mean, this is the kind of nonsense we've fallen into. This is a debatable issue. Doctors for 4,000, 5, 6, 7,000 years have been saying, Congratulations, it's a boy, or Congratulations, it's a girl. In the 20, 21st century, we're going, I'm not sure what that thing is. What's wrong with us? But that's where we've come to. Where we don't know, we can't say anything with certainty. Friends, that's garbage, that's demonic. And listen to me, you're not being winsome, you're not being loving to go along with that charade. These are my preferred pronouns. I'm sorry, you're a girl. So that means you're a she, a her. You will never be a him or a he. Does that sound cruel? Does that sound like I'm picking a fight? Friends, I'm not picking a fight. I'm telling you, if we can't speak with authority and absolute truth, we can't speak this way, we've lost. We've lost. And we see the church is succumbing to this sort of nonsense. And we mustn't succumb to this kind of nonsense. Again, truth is meant to bring freedom and ease, clarity, confidence, to remove uncertainty and doubt, so that we may fight. We have to be able to say this is right and this is wrong. We don't need to know the context to be able to say rape is always wrong. I don't need to know a context about that. Rape is wrong. Abortion is wrong. We well, don't know the context. It's a human being. It's wrong. It's called murder. So what is truth? Our Lord said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And again, in John 8, he says, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth is objective. It's factual. Jesus Christ is truth. Our God is the center of the universe. He alone is the one in whom the whole thing makes sense. He is both its beginning and its end. Where does uh, Solomon, in writing in the Proverbs, where does wisdom begin? With the fear of the Lord, with a recognition that there is a God, and I'm not him. Man was created for fellowship with God. We were separated from God by our sin. We are restored by the gift of his Son, by grace through faith, to enjoy and glorify him forevermore. He is reality. He is the truth. That's where everything begins. That's where it all starts to make sense. Knowing him as he is revealed in his word affects everything, how we see things, how we think of things, how we respond to everything, to all creation and all history all of these things are about the Lord. That's where, that's where truth is. That's where it begins. That's where it's found in who God is and how he's revealed himself to us. But again, Satan would say, really? Is that really so? Let me introduce Darwinism. Let me introduce evolution to you. Let me introduce um, the, the, the social stuff. Marxism, equality, egalitarianism. Let me introduce all of these things. Let me build discontentment in you about your home, about your money, about your lives. Let me create a discontentment in you. And, and, and let, me, let me foist upon you this ability to follow your own heart and follow your own dreams. You can be anything you want. I'm still waiting to wake up and be a seven-foot-tall NBA player. It's never happened. It's nuts, and yet that's the way the world is thinking. Instead of saying there is a God, he's created you, and he does all things well, that he's made us male and female, he made us to work, yes, you were made to work. You've been given skills and talents, things that you're supposed to put to work to take dominion over this earth. This earth is not the same as you. The dolphins are not the same as you. The baby seals and, and little puppies and, and kittens, they're not the same as you. They're wonderful creatures, but they're not image bearers. And you are to be a good and kind steward. Over all of God's creation, but you are never to worship that creation, and you are never, ever to put it above a person, and certainly never, ever above who the Lord is. That's Romans 1. That's truth, you see? And we're losing truth in the church. We're losing it. So God made all of these things, and He made everything good. Truth is objective. It is factual. We were made to have a relationship with the Lord. Our sin has um, separated us from God. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came into this world, into this creation to destroy the works of the devil, and he did so on Calvary's cross. He was really and truly raised from the grave. That's not a myth, that's a fact. Read 1 Corinthians 15, over 500 people at once saw Jesus resurrected from the grave. How would you explain that? That's a fact. That's an established fact. He rose again from the grave. He was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. He came to save sinners. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. And therefore, those looking to him to make peace for them have an inheritance awaiting them. They belong to a kingdom which will never be shaken. These are all facts. These are facts. These are facts pertaining to you. I don't feel like the Lord is very close to me right now. Are you in Christ? Yes. Then it doesn't matter what you feel like. The fact of the matter is your God is by you. He is near you and he is holding you fast. And he will never let you go. That's a fact. These things are true regardless of what the world thinks, what the world says, what you think, or what you feel. Friends, I'm not against emotions, I'm not. I'm probably one of the most emotional people you would have ever met, you have ever met in your life. I can't live on my emotions. Emotions are a wonderful thing. They're like salt and pepper on my steak or on my eggs. They flavor things, they make things colorful and nice. But they're terrible masters. They're terrible masters. You can't live based on how you feel. But we live based on what the scripture says. that has got to be that way. Or else we will be played by the evil one. My friends, God is true. There is no darkness in him. The word that he has breathed out by him, uh, using holy men full of the Holy Spirit, are God's words and God cannot lie. That's a fact. God cannot lie. The truth, the truth is objective. The truth is factual. And yet, friends, we mustn't leave it in the ethereal. We mustn't leave it. And this is where I think many reformed people are really good with this. We have a confession of faith. We go, oh, well, it says here in the confession this, and it says here in the confession that. And we never take the confession. As a friend in seminary used to say, we never put sneakers on our theology. Theology was meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived. Truth has a subjective element. We don't leave it left into the books. Paul tells us that to be fit for battle, friends, the truth, like a belt, must not remain for the Christian in his closet, in a box, or in the back seat of his car. Our loins must be girded with it. That is, you must appropriate the truth for yourself. Listen to what Charles Hodge said. He said, knowledge and belief of the truth is the first and indispensable qualification for a Christian soldier. To enter on this spiritual conflict, ignorant or doubting, would be to enter battle blind and lame. As the belt gives strength and freedom of action and therefore confidence, so does the truth when spiritually apprehended and believed. What does this mean? Again, I shared, um, I went to a city council meeting, they're implementing their Green New Deal where they want us to be. Um, 80% free or carbon net zero, whatever it is by the year 2050, 2030. I, I don't recall what it was, but it was to to do away with all of these carbon dioxide, right? Friends, do you remember in fifth grade learning that humans breathe out carbon dioxide? What does that mean? Does that mean they're trying to kill us all? Um, so, so you hear these things and, and you see these things. And so I'm sitting there at the the community meeting, And they're saying these things. And I'm like, what are we thinking? And and the moment of clarity came to me reading the the last verse of Genesis chapter 8. Springtime and harvest, you know, all of these things. The Lord is going to do it. It is the Lord who ends the earth. (gasps) Freedom. I felt such a boldness to say, excuse me, um, (laughs) I want to correct you here. I know you're saying that we're going to destroy the earth with our SUVs or we're going to destroy the earth with our cows. That's not what the scripture says. Then I read the scriptures to them and I try to tell them it's, it's God who says he's going to end. And why is he going to end the earth a second time? Because of sin, just like he ended it the first time because of sin. The first time with water, the second time with fire. This is what the scripture says. Realizing that, do you understand that the scientists say we're destroying the earth. They've always been saying we're destroying the earth. But all of a sudden, remembering the scriptures, coming to the scriptures, I can stand up and say you're wrong. Well, you're not a scientist. No, I'm not. I'm a theologian. And this is what the king of theology says. And I can stand, you see, and it provides a freedom and a boldness. And I don't have to wonder what, you know, a a World Economic Forum document of 700 and some pages is saying. I don't need, need to know all that. Because I know what the Lord has said, and you see, and I can stand firm. But that's just a small example of what we're talking about. You see, as we know the scriptures, we know that Satan is a schemer. He is a destroyer. And the church needs to know the scriptures so that the church can stand against the wiles of the devil. So gird up your loins, hold on to truth, and start discerning what is true. This is true. This is true. I can't say what everyone else is saying Um I don't know where they're getting their facts, but I know this is true. And if this says something, then they're false. If they don't agree with this, they're false. Now, call me a simpleton, but that's the way it works, friends. And that's where truth is like a belt that allows me to act in freedom. These two homosexual men, they love each other. No, that's not love that's not right there is can be forgiveness if you'll repent of this but we mustn't embrace this and say it's good because it's not good why because the scriptures tell us and you see you see what i'm saying the scriptures make things abundantly plain to us and the church for so long has said we've got to be winsome we've got to win people over we've got to have them see it friends It's what the scripture says. It's what the scripture says. So there is this subjective element to this truth. We take this truth onto ourselves. We hold on to this truth. So understand, Jesus Christ is not merely the Lord. He is the Lord. But understand, he's my Lord. He's my Lord. He's not just a king. He's my king. I don't just believe that God is, but I believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Seek him. Seek him. He did not come to merely deliver the sinner, but this sinner. He did not come to merely make life in a kingdom potential, but a reality for those who will call upon him. I am looking forward to walking the streets of heaven, hearing the music of the saints and angels, feeling the warmth of my face, The warmth on my face, rather, of the light of the Son of God and breathing deep the fragrance of the new creation. That's the reality. Because that's what the Scripture says, and I know that that's what is true. You see, friends, Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He's a really good liar and even makes it seem like it is true by misquoting truth. Again, being a destroyer and a murderer, he assails us with subtleties. This is often how he gets a foot in and he gets us off course just a little to lead us subtly away from Jesus Christ, from our mission as a church, to get us doing and serving and wrapped up in good things but not focused upon God's things of primary importance. If you'll turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul would give this warning to Timothy and to the church. Listen to this in 1 Timothy 1, through 3-8. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or about matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Here they were, caught up in bad things. Here in the church, we're discussing genealogies and myths, and we're getting all caught up in all of these things. And what does Paul say? Don't pay attention to these myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation. You see, these aren't edifying, they're not fruitful, they're not beneficial. Rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience in a sincere faith. What has the church been caught up in? What have we been doing? Why have we lost our light? Why have we lost the saltiness of the gospel? Is it any wonder we see myriads of people who are weak and who are silly, a number who flee the church because of hypocrisy or problems, because they don't want to be associated with hypocrites and problems. And you leave the church, and what does Satan do? Exactly what you want, exactly what he said he's going to do. He takes us away. And so we leave the church because people aren't obeying, and now we're not obeying either. He's tricky. Charles Hobbes had this to say, Let not anyone imagine that he is prepared to withstand the assaults of the powers of darkness if his mind is stored with his own theories or with speculations of other men. Nothing but the truth of God, clearly understood and sincerely embraced, will enable him to keep his feet for a moment before these celestial powers. Reason, tradition, speculative conviction, dead orthodoxy are a belt of spider webs. They give way at the first onset. Truth alone, as abiding in the mind in the form of divine knowledge, can give strength or confidence even in the ordinary conflicts of the Christian life much more than any really evil day. i give you a few examples. Again, here's the truth. The church has problems. That's true. Satan says, because the church has problems, you should really distance yourself from them and leave it the truth says of course there are problems in the church go to the problems face and head on talk to them pray for them set a better example don't leave and then go talk about it in the unbelieving community you have a right to be justly angry you don't have a right to paint Jesus Christ in a bad light nor paint his church in a bad light see this Here's another truth. Holiness is important. Be holy, for I am holy. This is what the Lord says. Satan says, if you're really holy, you will abstain from marriage, from certain foods, music, clothes, schools, political parties, and politics altogether. That's what Satan says. Truth says, where does holiness come from? It comes from the Lord. Does the Lord not tell us what he wants? Isn't holiness being obedient to the Lord? And does not the Lord say that each servant stands before his master? But you see what Satan does. He codifies things. He goes beyond. So there are some who will take the scriptures and and they'll say, well, you can't believe this in the scripture. And there are others who will take the scriptures and say, it's not going far enough and I need to add to it. Both of them are ploys of the devil. And so we don't check ourselves against the scriptures. Truth is, again, another example, the world is sinful. Yes, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Satan says, yes, the world is sinful. Let's look to get away from all those jerks and idiots out in the world. And let's set up our own little commune and isolate. What does Jesus say? What does the truth say? He says that sick people need doctors. Jesus says that the poor man Needs me, and you're my instrument to go tell the world about me. Truth is, Christians are supposed to be kind, right? This is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Satan says, Your truth does not make me feel good, therefore, it is not kind because it doesn't make me feel good. You should be quiet. What does Jesus say? The truth is, truth instills confidence. And it says this, I can't help how others feel. That's the reality. I can't help how others feel. It is not kind to withhold that which could save or help another person. You follow. No one is more kind than Jesus Christ, who spoke always the truth. Many times Jesus was not liked, but he always loved, even his enemies, more than himself. This is true kindness. My friends, Satan is so subtle. He's so smooth in his assaults on us. If we do not have our loins girded with truth, you will fall prey to him. And when we fall prey to him, the worship, the work, and the witness of the church suffers. It suffers. So what do we do? I'm almost done. Is there anything that we can do? Are we just sitting ducks waiting to get blasted? Hebrews 5.13 and 14 says this Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You understand what this is saying. You need to be students of the word and not just the daily devotional the daily bread guy. You need to be students of the word. You need to read it. You need to read it for breadth and you need to read it for depth. Not not because you have to do this in order to get to heaven, but because it's necessary to grow deep. It's like any discipline that you have done. I have hummus back there. I've got it down. It worked. It worked. It it, it's wonderful. You know how many batches of hummus I've made? And I'm only talking about hummus because I know you're getting tired. You know how many batches of hummus I've made? I've made it so that I can make it now almost with my eyes closed and I've learned the secrets of things, when to do things, how much of this and that, and I'm doing all these little things. With practice, you get better. With reading the scriptures more and more, you will become so thoroughly acquainted with them that when you hear some cockamamie thing come from the marketplace or from a pew, a person in a pew next to you, you'll go, that doesn't sound right. We need to examine this again. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. You've, had, you've, you've been trained in the scriptures so that you discern between good and evil so that when these lies assail us, we can stand and say, that's not right. And with boldness, we can say, that needs to be turned away from, that's wrong. We read this, in pointing out these things to the brethren, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following, but have nothing, nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Friends, this belt is taken up and brings us freedom as we discipline ourselves in the truth of God and what he has done for us. It is slow and it takes time and the race goes to the one who is steady. We train with it. We know where the books are, what they are about, what pleases the Lord, what angers the Lord. We learn his promises, we learn the blessings of Christ toward us and their implications and we delight ourselves in him. As we do these things, we grow in freedom and ease and confidence and do not fall prey to the lies. And this enables us to stand firm. And it enables the church to shed light on the culture around us and call people back from the edge of the cliff to fall upon Christ. That's your job. That's every Christian's job. Put on that belt of truth. My friends, keep reading your Bibles. What a blessing. What a blessing we have Bibles. Keep coming to worship. Keep sitting under the word. Keep making use of and sharing your gifts with each other and bearing one another's burdens. Keep praying with and for each other. Keep, and and I really want to encourage this one, you need to be coming to Sunday school. I know you're tired. I know it's a long week. I know that there are things to be done. There is no amount of, of what you could do on a Sunday morning that can equate with the blessing of sitting under, for instance, Tim Stark's teaching on the Westminster Confession of Faith. It is chunks of meat to help ground you. Friends, and, and, and I'm, I don't want to put rules where the Lord doesn't put rules. There's no, there's no phrase in the scriptures that says Sunday school it's not there discipleship is and maybe, maybe I have not sold it hard enough you need to be in Sunday school you need to be there and you need to be learning the doctrines of, our, of the church the doctrines of our faith you need to be learning these things because as you learn them you begin to discern what's right and what's wrong and a sunday school class you have discussion going on and you have iron sharpening iron you should all be in sunday school truth is under attack you need to be in sunday school and you need to be equipped and that doesn't happen easily you got to get out of bed an hour earlier you got to take care of your chores a little bit earlier but it'll be worth it i promise you it'll be worth it make t- spending time in the word a joyful thing, a time that you cherish. Turn off the television. Turn off the computer. Stop checking the headlines. Throw the blasted phone against the wall and stomp on it three times until it breaks. And you never can replace it because it's too expensive. Spend time with the Lord in his word. This is how we put on that belt of truth. I've talked long enough. Uh, let's pray father we thank you again for your word and i pray for your people and ask father that you will help us we have been so blindsided by so many things in this culture of affluence where we have come to cherish things that are beyond and different than you send revival we pray help us lord to open the book to open your word and to read thus saith the lord Give us ears to hear and eyes to see and minds and hearts that grasp the truth and that don't move away from it. We humbly ask these things of you, Lord, because we are weak. and We pray every Sunday, give us this day our daily bread. Would you, Lord, please give us our daily bread, that which is necessary for our souls so that we would no longer be made use of by Satan and so that we would not play into his schemes. Revive your church again, we ask. O oh, blessed Savior, we ask it in your name. Amen.